You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carl Stebbings and Simon Waltorton. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 20 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and with me in Simon's kitchen studio is Simon Waltorton. Hello, Simon. Hello, Carlos. How are you today? Yes, good. Um, just dodging the showers. Been out a couple of times this morning and... Uh... It's a bit, um, a bit windy and uh, a little bit stormy today and uh, for the next few days, but I hope the weather's going to start pulling ready for the air, uh, air show season, which has already started. Yeah, it's been uh, been a bit, uh, bit of a, a mixed card of weather. We had uh, hail and uh, strong winds and um, some pretty uh, um, mental weather yesterday, actually, didn't we? Really? Yes, and it uh, seems I was continuing on today. Yes, as we uh, record this episode, episode number 20, it is the 10th of May. Uh, yep. Saturday, and the time is uh, just coming up to uh, twenty-five to two in the afternoon. Yes, so I've uh, I've come over to uh, to Simon's studio this week, and uh, we've uh, got podcast snacks at hand yes, and, uh, and a cup of coffee, and we've also. What have we got, Simon? We've got our new mugs, and they've got our <laughs> name on it. And I'm just looking at these, and we're drinking our tea and coffee out of these as we speak, and um, they're quite uh, nice mugs. And um, I would imagine. Possibly in the future, um, we haven't discussed this yet, but you may be able to buy these from us, or we might be able to do one as a prize. Yes, a competition be, prize. That'd be good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, we'll keep you posted on that. And uh, also, we've got our own uh, business uh, podcast cards now. Yes, we have got cards now, which we can uh, we can give we, to uh, give to fans. <laughs> yes, we seem to be going up in the if world. We've got any. Because uh, on our uh, Facebook page. We are, I think, we're about up to seventy-one likes, and um, we're getting a lot of tweets. Um, also, on Twitter, and uh, thanks to all the uh, guys uh, from other podcast shows who uh, give us a plug and everything, and that's uh, yeah. most grateful. And um, all the people on Facebook as well for liking all our things. And uh, obviously, I do put a lot of uh, aircraft photos up there, and uh, there's some quite interesting ones which. Um, I've put up this week um, the Rower Tri Stars. Yes, yes, did I did you, see that one. Um, got quite, I think it was about three or four Caledonian. Yeah, and um, there's two or three British Airways beside them. And if people don't know, those um, two airlines were part of the same uh, airline uh, quite a few years back when they were running, because um, obviously it used to be British Caledonian, and then it just went to Caledonian Airways, and they were part of British Airways um, as they headed towards the end of their um airline industry um so yeah yeah as, as uh, i looked i saw the one you put on facebook actually because because uh, i'm a great fan of the tristar as you know and uh so don't forget as well so for all those people who are listening uh to the show and you're not you're not following us on facebook please do if you are on facebook please just um search for us on facebook plain talking uk and uh Join us on our Facebook page where you can uh, see regular updates from uh, me and Simon, and you can sort of find out some show info and uh, what we're what we're up to, and also our, our in focus aircraft of the week, yeah. uh, which we've got coming up later on in the show. Yes, and uh, also a bit of information uh, from Canada uh, regarding um, a certain aircraft that'll be linking up with the Battle of Britain Memorial flight. So uh, stay tuned for that, and I'll be giving you more information on that at the end of my segment of the show. You're not going to tell us now, then. Well, <laughs> even I don't know, and I'm sitting here with you. 
Uh, one other thing, um, I, did, I don't know whether we mentioned it in the last um, podcast, that the TriStars that are at Bruntingthorpe um, could be have a one last reprieve and be heading to the States to be um, uh, either stored there or used by another airline. So, Yeah, that's... Uh- to be confirmed as yes. yet, but uh, and also there's some tri-stars which we talked and discussed about um, in a previous podcast. Got to be up and running um, in somewhere in the world. I don't know. Is it about two or three um, of those tri-stars, or is it and somewhere in the far east? They're going to get up and running. Yeah, I think they were. I forget what they were now, but uh, we'll have to look up those yes, ones again. But. Yeah. But um, as we speak, um, we're getting quite busy on the uh, podcast um, as we're heading into the, uh, which is now official 2014 air show season. So um, things are hotting up uh, as we speak now. And uh, there are air shows taking place today and tomorrow. And uh, obviously last week as well, got the Abington air show, which I'll be giving you a rundown on as well. So lots coming up in the show and in the coming shows as well, um, as we count down for our first air show at Duxford. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, that's my the twenty fourth uh, and twenty fifth. Twenty fifth, that's it. Yeah, because I've got to uh, try and work my way to get there on that day because I'm well, working the night before. I think but... I'll be um, picking you up on route, so that that's probably uh... going to be best bet. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> that should uh, be. But I'm just hoping that this because um, we have a lot of vintage aircraft at Duxford and a lot of the air shows. I do hope um, we've got light winds, very light winds, just a slight breeze and um, sort of a little bit. Um, cloud in the sky and uh, just to uh, take away the glare of the sun and a nice sort of calm day and uh, new rain because a lot of these old aircraft do have um, sort of limits when it's uh, bad weather and uh, unfortunately sometimes due to the extreme weathers we get they are unable to fly. Yep so uh, hopefully you'll see uh, see us there at, uh, at that air show at uh, Duxford yes. um, later on this month. Yes and then obviously the other air shows as well so yeah coming lots. up in July yeah. So we're going to start the show as we always do with our rundown of the weekly or the last week's news. So if you're ready, Simon. Yeah, I'm ready. Right, let's go. So there's been quite a bit happening in the news this week uh, around the airports around the UK. So our first bit of news then uh, is coming from the Telegraph website. And this one is regarding something that uh, I don't generally tend to do myself, but a lot of people do, according to this report. And it's about the cost of changing money at the airport before you go on holiday. And apparently the costs can be as much as £13 extra uh, to, uh, to change money at airports. And the number of holidaymakers buying currencies in airport terminals is surging despite that extra cost. More than 1.6 million travellers brought currency at British airports in the past year, a rise of 15% on a year earlier, despite warnings of poor rates and punitive commission charges being applied to small amounts. Holidaymakers uh, will find their money goes further thanks to a recovery in the pound last year, particularly against the dollar. But the real gains would have been more substantial for shrewd uh, buyers, according to research by the post office. 
Almost two-thirds of people who buy currency from a British airport are travelling to a European destination, and based on calculations by the post office, it said that over one million people lose an average of £12.56 each doing so. They compared rates for 10 currencies at 11 UK airports and found that tourists buying at the airport would get less foreign cash for their pounds, Andrew Brown at the post office said. In fact, families changing the average value transaction of £268 into euros at the airport face losing almost 13 quid. Holidaymakers hoping to uh, take advantage of a 10% rise in the value of the sterling against the US dollar since last year would also lose out, said Mr Brown added. Uh, 6% of tourists are travelling to the USA and found that 1.16 million is wasted annually based on the average difference of almost £12 between the amount received when changing money at the airport and at post office high street branches. Now, I mean, for me, Simon, I always change my money before I fly out. Yes. Um, um, either is, at a this, bank or, or some. You know, yes, uh, this is a, um, a very good... Uh, uh, item you've brought up here um which is um one that i um always research before i go on holiday especially when i go to the us now i'll shop around uh, on the high streets and there's one or two well-known um supermarkets i say supermarkets um uh, more of a top-end supermarket that's on the high street um, which i use um, because they normally give the best rates or um i don't like using them but these uh, money exchange um give the normally give the best rates and it's worth remembering trying to do a bit of uh haggling uh when you're in there against two or three other shops go into one saying oh they've offered me this and they may offer you a better rate so just try and do a bit of bartering um amongst three or four um exchange uh areas but um i have uh, noticed this in the past going to the uh, ones at the airports that the rates they offer are way way below uh, what the supermarkets and uh, high street um, banks will give you uh, for an exchange rate or any supermarket, really. Yeah, just looking at the um, average waste figures per transaction here, a uh, list of the countries and that. One of the worst is uh, Canada for the Canadian dollar, um, where people trans- uh, changing money at airports are losing um, an average of £18, <coughs> yes. 43 per uh, transaction, yeah, and the same, a lot. Yeah, and the same with the Australian there, £18.64, which is um, quite, not doesn't seem much, but that's per person, bearing in mind. And mm. if, if there's three or four of you going, you've all got your currency, um, it can soon mount up. So, yeah, and also um, in the past, I've used these uh, preloaded... Um, uh, credit cards. Have you oh, ever yeah, tried I've them? seen those. Yeah, I've seen them, but I haven't used them. But they are a good idea. Yes. Yeah. Um, so if you do uh, lose those, you can uh, normally get them back within twenty four hours, or get a new one uh, replacement. But yeah, this. So if you are intending on going anywhere, just shop around and uh, have a look in some supermarkets in t- any town. You'll yeah, know what the supermarkets do now, don't they? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, I know uh, most of the main ones do. The black and green, I'm not going to mention the supermarket, but the black and green logos and uh, the green logos, so you, you'll get an idea <laughs> on where, where I'm coming from. And obviously, I will um, say about the post office, they uh, do uh, good rates, but a lot of these money um, shops in town also uh, offer really good rates as well, so... I'll tell you, I always find as well, when I've uh, travelled um, to, to, say, Malta each year, I, I change my money in, uh, in Malta. 
Yep. Um, and get a lot, lot better rate in Malta than we do in the UK. Yes. Even changing at a bank in the UK, we, yes. you get a better rate in Malta. Yes, yeah. Um, so that's worth thinking as well when you uh, just yeah. find out, if you can find out via the internet, what sort of rates you'll get in the country you're going to. Yes, because I know a lot of um, foreign countries love the uh, dollar, uh, changing the dollar up, and also the UK, pound, uh, British pounds. Um, so like Carlos was saying, you get a better exchange rate at the uh, destination not always, but most of the time. So, yeah. Right. So, moving next piece of news. Uh, this one's on the Travel Mall uh, site. And this is regarding uh, Virgin and some angry passengers who turned to Facebook to uh, vent their frustrations over a fri- uh, flight delay. So, Virgin Atlantic has come under fire from passengers <coughs> who suffered major delays on a flight from London Gatwick to Orlando early this week. Passengers who vented their anger on social media say they were left for 12 hours with just some water and a few packets of crisps when their flight was diverted to West Palm Beach. One passenger claimed she was unable to give her child milk despite asking for eight hours. Writing on Facebook, Leslie McArdle said, We genuinely feel like we have been held hostage by US Customs, Virgin and completely abandoned by the airline. We have been at this airport for eight hours and I can't stop crying. It feels so hopeless. Virgin confirmed that Wednesday's flight VS15 had been diverted to West Palm Beach due to severe weather in the Orlando area. And unfortunately, after holding a a delay in holding and refueling the aircraft, the crew on board were over their legal working hours and therefore all passengers and crew remained in West Palm Beach while a relief crew was issued from Orlando to take the aircraft to its final destination. It apologised to passengers for the exceptional circumstances and said as a goodwill, uh, goodwill gesture, it was offering passengers a $100 gift voucher and flying club miles. But passengers claimed it was not fair to blame the delays on bad weather. They said that delays at Gatwick when crew were swapped and the lack of fuel meant the flight was forced to land at West Palm Beach Airport instead of a larger airport, which would have been able and better equipped to deal with the arrival of the 747. So, Simon, uh, social media, again, playing a yes, big part yes. in... Um, I think um, if anybody has got any frustration, um, I think I'm all uh, all for this to get your word across, rather than, like, I've had problems in the past, uh, many years ago, uh, writing, do get replies, but they are a slow process and do take time. But with uh, social media sites, it is quite instant. And uh, you will normally get an instant feedback straight away. Yeah. And uh, looking at this uh, reading here, they've um, uh, got a sort of near enough uh, uh, an instant sort of feedback from this. But mm. this is a good way of uh, venting any frustration on any uh, aircraft or anything, really, whether it's delays at the airport, the aircraft, uh, or the rudeness of anybody um, anywhere in the airport. Yeah, I just think it's a good idea. So Yeah. Keeping on this story, um, Simon uh, and me, um, well, I told Simon um, about this at the weekend, and one of uh, our close friends um, went to uh, Gatwick Airport last Saturday to uh, fly out to Cyprus on holiday. Uh, They flew with BA, and uh, they were due to fly out on the Saturday afternoon. And uh, me being me, Will, was already with the flight tracking um, on the computer on Flight Radar 24 to follow their flight as they took off with BA to Cyprus, to Larnaca, and uh, couldn't find them. 
uh, half an hour after their expected uh, departure time, couldn't find them, um, searched for them, couldn't find them, so gave them a call. And they they told me they'd been delayed. And uh, I said, right, fair enough. I, uh, anything over three hours, you're entitled to food and drink vouchers from the airline. So after that time, they uh, got called back into uh, the lounge where they got their cases brought back to them off the aircraft and uh, were told that the, air, the flight was going to be cancelled uh, to Cyprus and that they were going to be put up in the hotel on Saturday night just outside uh, the airport, uh, which is fine, but this was losing them a day of their holiday. Now, the reason um, which I find bizarre that uh, BA gave um, the passengers and our friends on this flight was that they didn't have an aircraft capable of uh, going to Cyprus um, at the airport at Gatwick. Um, now, obviously, there are restrictions on crew times, uh, crew hours, and and things like that. But I just find it very, very hard to believe that uh, an airline like BA uh, didn't have one aircraft and could didn't have a, a crew on standby at least to crew an aircraft to you know at least get these people out to Cyprus that day. Now, they actually got picked up again on the Sunday morning uh, from the, the hotel and took back to the airport for a nine o'clock departure and were then delayed another hour. So they eventually took off at around about half past ten uh, on Sunday morning. And uh, the excuse they were given for the delay this time was a leaking tap on uh, the aircraft. Now, the aircraft they were due to fly out on was Airbus A320. And the aircraft they flew out on on uh, Sunday was an Airbus A319. Now, on searching on the um, the database, I found that the aircraft they flew out on was ten years old. Uh, so it's a fairly old Airbus, yeah. and uh, I just uh, it annoys me to think that um, I just think don't, I just don't think it was a very plausible answer to say no, they couldn't get these people no, out there. There's something uh, more of a drift than that because they. They must have pilots that could actually do a ferry flight, even if there was other aircraft in the area um, from another airport. Because we're you know, we're quite lucky, or they're quite lucky, because uh, you've got London Heathrow, you've got you've got Gatwick, you've got Luton, um, you've got most of the uh, big airports in the UK that must have an aircraft um, that's kicking around somewhere to be mm. uh, just ferried um, to the passengers. So I find it very... Um... I mean, but me, I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't know, I'm not an a, a, a expert on how airlines run their um, run their, their aircraft and their fleets, but I would imagine it was probably going to be more expensive for them to put a whole aircraft full of people in a hotel with, with meals overnight than just to get another crew in to fly yes. another aircraft out. Yes. I, I, I don't know. Perhaps if you're, uh, if you're a pilot out there listening to the show um, or a dispatcher uh, with an airline, perhaps you could shed some light on, uh, on why this, uh, this might have happened. Um, they're, flying, they're due to fly back this evening. Um, as we record this, they're going to fly back tonight. Um, back home and uh, let's hope they're not delayed but uh, I do think there will definitely be a claim going in yes definitely um, because like we said uh, eventually it worked <clears throat> out they they lost nearly a day and a half of their holiday which yes. I, I really don't think is on no uh, definitely not and um, I just find it hard to believe and I'd like to know I suppose on long-haul flights the um, crews 
uh, do one flight and then have a rest for a few days and then come back on a um, after a few days rest and then on a lot of uh, sort of shorter flights to the Europe you may get away with possibly two to three or maybe four runs in say like short mm. ones to Paris or whatever um, and then say, say like uh, ones that are in the UK obviously quite a lot of day because it's a short short flights so i mean this does happen this does happen a lot this is not sort of a one-off it does happen quite a lot to um to various airlines but you would have thought that an airline as huge as ba is with the fleet size they have um that they would have been able to have got these uh got these people and our friends yes. over cyprus you know it's not yes. it's a four-hour flight it's not yeah. um transatlantic or anything no. but uh yes just thought i'd share that uh <laughs> <laughs> yes. bit of news following on then from that okay so next piece of news uh the conference and incentive travel site and um, this one is regarding monarch airlines and they're launching 10 new routes from the uk uh monarch are going to operate a twice weekly service to uh new and uh, god blimey simon how do you spell en- 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 Enfidia. Enfidia. uh tunisia from both manchester airport and london gatwick on Wednesday and Saturday each week. The airline has also launched its first service to a Moroccan destination with uh, twice-weekly flights to Agadir from Manchester Airport. A twice-weekly service uh, to Hungarha, or Hangada, Egypt, will operate out of Birmingham, Manchester and London Gatwick airports as of the 2nd of May, while the latter will operate a a five-times-a-week service to Nice from (coughs) Thursday to Monday. (coughs) The new flights from London Luton Airport all to, uh, uh, to Antalya, Turkey, have also launched and will operate three times a week. And a twice-weekly service to Naples will operate out of London Luton Airport and Manchester Airport between Monday and Friday. Director of Customer Experience and Marketing Tim Williamson said that this could not come at a better time as we prepare ourselves for our busiest period. The airline will have over 5.5 million seats on sale over the summer period and expects in mid-August to have 1,118 one-way departures per week. So another airline putting more routes on from the UK then, Simon. Yeah, we just um, seem as though we're coming out of a recession uh, at the moment, um, which is good news. And um, more and more airlines, it just seems as though they're um, looking into uh, a lot more new destinations and uh, adding to their flight lists, which is... uh, Good uh, for all passengers, really. Yes, it's more competition. Yep, Monarchs are kind of competing more and more with the sort of low cost airlines now. <coughs> yes, um, I don't know what the prices are like with Monarch. If you book a just a book just a flight with Monarch, but, yeah, they've, um, um, I've flown uh, Monarch many years ago on the mm. old seven five seven two hundreds. Yep, yep, with the old livery. Yes, mm. uh, the old uh, yellow and black. Yellow and black. I see. Yeah. yeah. Um, have you uh, flown Monarch many a times? A lot of years ago. Yes. Oh, yeah, that was uh, an Airbus. Yeah. Uh, was it a 767? A... No, an Airbus A300 yep. I flew with Monarch on. Yep. Um, I think I may have flown them, but there's uh, lots of older aircraft, and I think we're going to have to do some uh, review. Fleet, fleet research, yeah, yeah, fleet reviews. Yeah, yeah we'll do yeah. some uh, fleet reviews and um, old livery and uh, past airlines. Um, that are no longer flying and where the aircraft are now and what else is uh, going on. So, yeah. Okay, so next piece of news then from Bloomberg News. Uh, Richard Branson uh, from Virgin Atlantic, considering uh, he's added, <coughs> considering adding the stretched 787 to the Virgin Atlantic Airways fleet. Uh, he's considering uh, whether to add the stretched 787-10 version of the world's composite jet. 
it would make a lot of sense for us to have some tens, Chairman Richard Branson, 63, said in an interview in Dallas. They're definitely exploring that, he said. Acquiring the largest 787 model would let Virgin fly uh, more passengers on long-haul routes for which the Dreamliner was designed. Crawley-based England Virgin Airways Atlantic uh, has ordered uh, 16 of the 787-900 series, the midsize offering uh, in the three-jet Dreamliner family, with options for five more. Virgin Atlantic would be more likely to place new orders for the 787-10 versus converting some of its nine orders to the bigger plane, said Branson, the UK billionaire and founder of the Virgin Group Limited. The 787-900 seats 280 people, while the 787-10 series would hold 323 passengers, according to Boeing's BA website. The airline will get its initial 787 Dreamliner in September this year, and Dreamliners will boost Virgin Atlantic's fuel efficiency and let the carrier sustain its image for flashy customer service. Virgin is known for touches such as motorcycle pickups for passengers and an array of onboard options. Uh, The airline has said that they've got completely new seats, completely new entertainment systems, completely new bars and completely new lighting systems. Uh, Branson said declining to provide any specifics. It's going to look stunning and will give Virgin Atlantic a real shot in the arm. Virgin Atlantic has 38 Boeing and Airbus Group wide-body planes in its main fleet, along with four leased single-aisle Airbus jets for its little red operation in the UK. Boeing began offering the 787-10 series last year, with deliveries targeted to begin in 2018. The twin-engine jet is the longer version of the 900 series, or 9 series, which is in turn a stretch variant of the first Dreamliner, the 8 series. Boeing's list price for the Boeing 787-10 is $288.7 million, although most airlines usually get a discount on that price. Branson was in Dallas to help rally support for his uh, partly-owned US airline, Virgin America, as the carrier seeks to sublease two gates from American Airlines Group at the city's Lovefield Airport. He owns a stake in Burlingame, California-based Virgin America, which last month reported its first annual profit. So uh, there we go then, some stretched... I mean, the aircraft's not even uh, flown yet, and uh, Mr. Branson's ordering... uh... Yes, because he's holding back on the uh, A380s. Most other airlines have um, got a few uh, up and running in their fleet now, but Virgin seem to be holding back on the uh, uh, A380s. Um, But I've flown Virgin uh, many a times, and... um, I can say, um, Touchwood, overall, I uh, give them a quite a high rating and um, the amenities uh, you normally get are really good and the service is normally good. And um, one time I did fly a few years back where I was supposed to get some rucksacks and uh, they didn't have any in stock and we never got them, but that's just a shame <laughs> to the children. That's too good a perk. You should have stuck with Ryanair. <laughs> but um, <laughs> having said that, you get you do they do look after you and uh, you get your... In-flight entertainment and all your goodie bags, and also uh, you get your amenities, um, and you get your ice creams during the film, which is uh, another little uh, nice gesture. Yeah, so, that's good. I like that. Yeah. So next piece of news then, Sunday uh, Express, the Luton and Dunstable Sunday Express, 
Uh, yeah, I picked this one, Simon, because it's, a, it's kind of a, uh, um, a sort of a commercial aviation with a with a touch of military. Yes. Um, this one is regarding Luton <clears throat> Airport, and uh, a Boeing E three Sentry was spotted flying over Luton Airport. Uh, a military aircraft on a training flight was spotted flying over Luton Airport at the weekend. The plane was a Boeing E three Sentry and made two approaches to the airport on Sunday, May the third, at around midday. A spokeswoman for Luton Airport said that an aircraft on a military training flight did make two approaches to the airport, but as it did not land, we don't have any further information. According to the Royal Air Force website, the E-3 planes are used by the Number 8 Squadron, which is based at RAF Waddington. There we go, Simon. <laughs> yes. Well, that's, um, that's an interesting uh, news article you've got here. Um, they've not, they're not going to give out, out too much information about um, intelligence aircraft uh, doing training sorties around um, civilian airports. Um, but I suppose uh, they have to do some training and uh, get a good idea on this. They must have had uh, authorization from uh, air traffic control to do this. Um, so I'd imagine uh, by the, having this training flight on the approaches, it just gives them an idea of uh, what's going on uh, during the training and also um, a good training sort of base, really. Um, it's coming in, not landing, obviously, but coming into the uh, airport area. Um, because the AWACS does have a lot of classified information on there and uh, they are sort of an intelligence gathering aircraft, but they must have uh, be able to get all the information of all the other aircraft that are in the area, the ones that are taking off and on the ground. So that is quite a good uh, training sort of area for them to uh, be in and quite a nice site, really. Yeah, yeah, that would have been good to see that. The E3 Century, um, as uh, those of you <coughs> geeks, aviation geeks will know, is based uh, and derived from the Boeing 707. Yes. Quite an old uh, passenger aircraft. Yes, and uh, they've, uh, they're sort of two uh, types, uh, if people are, are not aware. Sorry for interrupting you there. You, but, you carry on, Simon. Um, <laughs> but um, we also, uh, as well as the uh, AWACS uh, Sentry, E3 Sentry, uh, we've also got the KC-135, uh, uh, which is the mm. 707 uh, refueling tanker, and that's based at RAF Milden Hall. And I think they do um, a lot of uh, the times go to Waddington as well. Yeah, there's been uh, 68 of those built, Simon, the E3 sentries. Yes. 68 in total. Yes. They're used by um, the US Air Force, NATO, Royal Air Force, and the Royal Saudi Air Force yes. as well use those. Yes, and uh, it's quite a nice site. I've seen one of them, um, I was at Duxford uh, a few years back, and um, yeah, um, when I was uh, there, I did actually uh, see one make a low pass over, and um, he was so low, uh, we had a lovely downdraft, and blast of wind because the uh, conditions were so quiet and there was no wind but the aircraft made a lovely uh, like wash over the trees and made all the trees blow and uh, made all, everything move so it was uh, quite interesting I know that had been um, he was on a sort of he'd done a pass because uh, the president the uh, United States was uh, Air Force One was in the area so that is why they had um, uh had the aircraft flying in the area because it was just doing some uh, monitoring uh, of the Air Force One, just making sure that it was safe around it. So, yeah, that was an uh, interesting and mm. uh, sort of enjoyable uh, time. Very good. International Business Times, then. Next story. Uh, this one is quite a serious one as well, Simon. You're looking at the pictures as I am. Oh, wow. Um, this one is regarding a fire at uh, Heathrow Airport and uh, a cargo carrier... Uh, the trucks that carry the cargo to the aircraft 
burst into flames near a Jet Airways 777. Uh, a Heathrow Airport carrier cargo burst into flames just metres from a Boeing 777 uh, Boeing um, from Jet Airways that was preparing uh, to take off for New Delhi. The flight was subsequently delayed by more than an hour after the front end of uh, the Airport Service International's group high loader truck ignited. Smoke billowed out of the vehicle, which uh, had stopped facing the rear of the plane just near the outflow valve, the part that controls the cabin pressure. After the fire was extinguished, the aircraft was inspected uh, before flight 9W121 departed with a delay of around an hour and 15 minutes. Jet Airways was founded in 1992 and is one of India's major airlines, operating more than 3,000 flights a day to 76 destinations worldwide. And uh, just looking here, uh, the picture that we've got uh, on the International Business Times site of this uh, of this aircraft fire, I'd say that's fairly close to that aircraft sign. Yes, yeah, so I'm looking at the uh, flames coming out of the um, cabin. It is a uh, that looks like an Aveco Ford truck um, uh, catering wagon, but the full cab is well alight, isn't it? Mm, definitely, literally and- underneath the. Uh, the rear door, the last rear door on the triple seven there. Yes, and uh, you can actually see the uh, registration mark for this uh, aircraft. It's uh, Victor Tango, Tango Juliet Echo, Echo Oscar. Yeah, and um, but this aircraft. Looking at these pictures, this aircraft was safe to fly. Yeah, the aircraft was inspected after the fire had been put <clears> out and was uh, cleared safe to fly, which is quite surprising because that actually does look. Yeah, and the picture there, whether the picture has been taken at a certain angle. Yeah, so you... that's what I was then going to say. Mm. Um, but um, it's quite um, dangerous, and um, it looks quite um, a, a sort of serious fire, really. Um, but luckily, um, the fire and emergency services were on hand really quickly and got this under control, because this could have been a major, major, major um, incident, really, mm. uh, looking at this, because luckily... Um, it was a way, a little way away, and it's right at the back um, under the emergency door. Um, it's away from all the fuel um, which is contained in the wing. So, yeah, that, judging by the, the look, the picture, I'd say that was probably uh, the the engine of the um, truck caught fire. Yes, um, because uh, the engines are sort of underneath the cab yes. on these lorries. So, uh, but um, a lot of the uh, aircraft, I, I don't know if this has anything to do with it. Um, obviously, uh, flying. They are sort of the um, lorries do have to be uh, very uh, extra vig- vigilant and careful uh, round aircraft, um, but these lorries don't actually travel that far um, because they're only sort of based in the airport normally. Um, so if their engines are left running, they have the sort of chance to uh, overheat. So yeah, but uh, a safe outcome from yes, that one. Yes, thank goodness. Yeah, thank goodness. So next piece of news then from Get West <laughs> London website. Um, this one is regarding a uh, program or a, a page, a web page that you can go on, which I didn't know existed. No, this um, looks quite interesting, doesn't yeah. it? Um, um, this new website lets you track flight patterns uh, from Heathrow Airport. Um, airport chiefs have launched an online tool allowing users to see just how many planes have been flying over their homes and at what times. And... The new online tool uh, tool has been launched by Heathrow Airport 
and users of Web Track My Neighborhood can simply type their postcode in and see how many aircraft have passed overhead during the last month, year or quarter of the year. The site also shows the proportion of takeoffs and landings using each flight path as a percentage of the total and which hours were the busiest for each flight path. Bosses at Heathrow said that it was only the second airport in the world and the first in the UK to launch such a tracking tool, which they hoped would help keep residents better informed about airport operations. Heathrow already runs a web track site allowing people to track aircraft in real time and monitor their altitude model and how much noise they're generating at various checkpoints. Heathrow's sustainability director, Matt Gorman, said that from meeting with communities around Heathrow, we know that they want access to good quality information so they can understand patterns of aircraft noise in their local area and what's been done to tackle it. We hope that they'll find the new tool useful and continue to give us feedback on how we can improve our communications around noise in the future. The launch comes just a few days before Heathrow is due to reveal its detailed submission for a third runway to the airport's commission, and it follows the publication of a quieter Heathrow setting out steps by the airport to reduce noise and improve community engagement. These measures include encouraging quieter planes and improving mitigation, such as insulation for those affected by aircraft noise. So I'm going to have to look at this site, uh, Simon. I didn't even know it existed. No, no, um, I didn't. Um, looks good, doesn't it? I'd like to live in an area where the uh, on the map there was the darker green, because that looks quite a, <laughs> a heavily congested area where the uh, flight paths are. But looking at this, um, it's quite a, uh, two or three routes uh, coming into uh, Heathrow. Um, I take it this little house here must be uh, the airport. The and postcode, that's, well, that's the postcode yes. of where they, um, where this where person are, lived, and, yeah. Uh, and then the uh, plane of the uh, airport, which is Heathrow. But yeah, it looks uh, good because looking at these lighter shade ones that are at, a little bit further out of uh, Heathrow, I think there must be the Holden patterns or approach um, mm. uh, routes of the aircraft to come in. But yeah, I'm certainly going to make a note of this. And, so um, you have to look online for this one. It's uh, Web Track My Neighbourhood. Tool. Um, tool, yeah. If you look for that, uh, search on Google. I'm sure you'll be yes. able to find it on there. Yeah. Um, gonna have to have a look at that one. I don't. We'll get many uh, flying over our areas. <laughs> no, no. We never do normally get anything flying no, over the well, over East Anglia. Having said that, we had the um, a few uh, months. Uh, say a few, a few months, a few weeks back. We had the A380, didn't we? we were heading out because you were on your way to work, and then I was coming home, and it flew right over the top of us. Remember that? Yeah, one I do morning? remember that. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I remember seeing that one. It's always nice to see a big aircraft like oh, that yeah. flying over. Yeah, just a, Definitely. a bit lower would be nice. <laughs> yes, yes. So, uh, and uh, next uh, story then, and uh, actually this is um, this is regarding an airline that actually does come over our house at a quite low altitude into uh, into our local airport. Uh, on the Times of Malta uh, website, and this is anger over Ryanair's baggage disclaimer and their baggage damage disclaimer. And this one is uh, regarding people flying uh, to Malta with Ryanair are being asked to sign a declaration absolving the airline of any responsibility for any damage uh, caused or done to luggage. Passengers departing from London Stansted over the weekend were told the system was introduced because of a surge in incidents at Malta International Airport. But Globe Ground Malta Limited, the company that handles luggage of the uh, some of the airlines, including Ryanair, said that it received no complaints at all about its service. 
Chief Operations Officer Joe Brugia said that the company had no comment as it wanted to speak to the airline first. Malta International Airport also said that it had not received any complaints in relation to service delivery, and we reaffirm that it's a handling function of Globe Grand Malta. Nevertheless, we will uh, be seeking uh, clarification from Ryanair accordingly, Malta International Airport said. Now, I, uh, those of you who listen to the show regularly will know that I'm a frequent visitor to Malta, and nine times out of ten, I fly Ryanair. Um, because they have uh, the, obviously the cheaper flights, but also the better time flights for getting into Malta um, first thing in the morning. And I've got to say that in the, blimey, in the 25 or so plus years, probably nearly th- uh, 30 years now that I've been traveling to Malta um, since I was a child, I don't think I've ever had any issues at all with uh, damaged suitcases um, coming into Malta. And I've, you know, we we flew out there last year and uh, had no issues at all with uh, with luggage at all. Simon, yeah, um, I um, I can give you a bit more of a insight into this. I've um, come back with Virgin Atlantic many a times and uh, flown into uh, London Heathrow, and um, they've got an actual um, two or three A four pieces of paper uh, with near enough every single type of luggage or near enough the luggage size, um, or bag, or ski bag, or whatever. So if you do have damage to your bag, they will actually um, give you a money back um, on this uh, through a check or a credit. And um, most of the, or I say most, all of the items do have a price uh, beside a, like a ski bag I've had ripped before, and they've given me uh, the money back for that, or a, a large sort of ski hold all bag um, and any sort of damage um, they do have that sort of because they know it happens quite frequently but for an airline to sort of take away this I know you've got insurance but also um, I think the airline must be held responsible uh, for the um, for looking after your luggage while it's in their hands really I mean there's a lot of places that damage could have come from it could have come from when it was loaded this yes, end yeah. you know um, <clears throat> could have happened in flight which yeah. is, doesn't normally and happen. um a lot of the times i know uh, it's quite dangerous it does happen uh, quite frequently um with luggage falling off the little uh, carts as they're being uh, sort of transported or towed by one of the little tugs um to the mm. to the airport um aircraft but i've never had i've never had an issue but um i mean i'm due to fly out there fingers crossed in june this year uh, next month uh, for a holiday and um well, I'll be flying, probably flying Ryanair. Yes. I'd imagine so from Stansted. So we'll have to see um, see what. But you've uh, got Air happens. Malta as well. I know they fly from Norwich, but um, their flights are a lot more um, substantially expensive. Yes. Just just a wee uh, sort of more expensive by about a hundred pounds. Which <laughs> and is if, a lot it's, of money. if it's a field you go, and that soon mounts up, doesn't it? Yeah, that yeah, definitely definitely does. Next piece of story, a news story then from the sys.com media site, and. Um, this is something that's being rolled out across a lot of airlines now. It's very popular. And EasyJet are going to start to have a paperless plane. And by paperless, uh, fly paperless plane, uh, we're talking about the um, the big piles of paperwork and uh, maps and charts that uh, flight crews take on board on the flight deck um, 
are going to be replaced um, with oh, a lot of airlines do use already iPads and sort of tablets to store these charts on already. But EasyJet are going to uh, start to use these uh, these particular type of electronic flight bags or EFBs. And they are going to fit these on their fleet, which at the moment totals 220 aircraft, all Airbus. And they're going to complete the fitting of the Panasonic touchpads in place of laptops and printed navigation charts in all of its cockpits by the end of this month. This means that the airline is already nearing a completely paperless plane. The tablets will also make EasyJet one of the first airlines to use this type of device in all phases of flight and on the ground. New e-paper technology, like the digital paper created by Sony, could see EasyJet uh, completely eradicate all printed forms in the cabin, and this would mean an entirely paperless plane. The new device is the latest lightweight design from Sony, which makes it feel like the user is writing on paper. Completed forms can be quickly saved onto a central database, enabling the airline operational team quick and easy access to information uh, when on the aircraft. Each aircraft currently carries around 25 kilos of paper, encompassing forms, checklists and detailed manuals. By removing the paper completely, we can improve the efficiency and costs by reducing fuel burn and production and subsequent distribution to EasyJet's 24 bases. This will save around half a million dollars in fuel costs alone, and it will also reduce the cost of printing and distributing paper versions of the manuals and forms. EasyJet this month will complete the first phase of its journey towards a paperless aircraft, fitting uh, the existing fleet with the touchpads. And uh, the Panasonic touchpad is engineered to perform in any environment. It offers unrivaled reliability and requires minimal maintenance, making it an ideal solution for EasyJet pilots. That's cool. That's good, that is, Simon. Yes, um, I'm looking at this in a bit of uh, hesitation um, because if there is a... um sort of malfunction and uh, your battery power is uh, out. If they're <laughs> running on battery, all of them must probably be plugged into the uh, main aircraft system. Um, it's always good to have a paper map just as a backup, as a precaution. Yeah, we um, have in our car, even though we've got sat now, yes, we always have a, a paper backup. Yeah, a paper one is always there for backup. And um, if anything goes wrong, because sat navs and um, I don't care what anybody says, are good, but they do uh, lead you in the wrong uh, directions, and also these touchpads can be uh, rather faulty um, at certain times and um, crash. So that is well worth having a backup. So next piece of news then from Flight Global, <coughs> and uh, this one is regarding Mitsubishi aircraft. Not uh, a hugely, massively um, well-known aircraft by some people, but Mitsubishi do produce aircraft. Yes. And they've uh, rolled out the first ground test aircraft for its MRJ regional jet program as it prepares to start static strength tests. The aircraft MSN 90001 was transferred uh, from Mitsubishi Heavy Industries, Kamaki South Plant, where final assembly of the MRJ is underway to strength test the station at a facility near the Nagoya airport, a Mitsubishi spokesman told Flight Global. Images provided by Mitsubishi show a near-complete airframe, although the static-strength aircraft lacks a horizontal stabiliser, and it also has an unoccupied engine pylon under each wing. 
and uh, the Mitsubishi says static strength tests will start in the summer of 2014. And these airframe tests are necessary in order to uh, achieve type and airworthiness certifications and will be conducted in the presence of Japan's Civil Aviation Bureau. Mitsubishi will be using seven test aircraft for the certification of its MRJ regional jet. Five aircraft will be used for flight tests, while the other two will be used for static strength tests and fatigue strength tests. The program's first flight test aircraft, MSN 10001, is also taking shape. Last month, the airframe was said that the tail cone section, as well as the right wing, had been delivered to the Kamaki facility for final assembly. Delivery of the first Pratt & Whitney PW1200G geared turbofan engines, uh, originally due to arrive in late April, has now been delayed, however, says the spokesman. The first engines are now expected to be delivered in several weeks, he adds, and the Japanese-made regional jet is scheduled to take its first flight in the second quarter of 2015, after three delays to the programme schedule. What do you think of that one, Simon? Looks yeah. a bit like a, a kind of... Uh, uh, an ERJ, sort of an Embraer yes, sort of type. Yes, um, flown on the CRJ uh, 700 regional jet, um, which is, um, I suppose, a smaller version of the uh, Fokker 100 or the Fokker 70 jet, um, which is a nice aircraft. I've flown that with United Airlines. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's an okay aircraft. Um, but the jets, uh, this one, the jets, I would believe, looking at these pictures, uh, going to go on the wing but the crj 700 regional jet they had them on the uh, fuselage at the rear and um i must admit my mother did find it quite uncomfortable to her ears um when flying this aircraft because of the where the fuselage um the mount mounts for the uh, engines are which is on the fuselage and it's echoing through the aircraft so i um found it a bit sort of thing but this aircraft looks good and i'll be glad to see it um when it's uh, completed yeah judging by the uh the fuselage sort of width i'm guessing that's probably going to be a two two sort of two abreast layer yeah to each side yeah, yeah. yeah something like that single aisle definitely yeah. single aisle um but yeah looks good good news then for mitsubishi so the last uh piece of news then i've got uh this is good sam you'll like this uh this is uh, on the richest website uh, so for those of you listening who are millionaires, um, <laughs> I know me and Simon definitely are. Uh, we've got the top five aircraft owned by millionaires. Wow. And uh, so at number five, um, Donald Trump's Boeing 757, um, which uh, is uh, worth $100 million. And Donald Trump has modified a 757 to include a home theater system. Um, with a 52-inch flat-screen TV. And he also has a master bedroom on board, um, clad in yards of silk and gold. And, of course, he's got a full working executive desk, master bathroom with a circular shower and gold-plated sink and fixtures. There's Waterford crystal lamps and oil paintings through the aircraft as well. And he's also got gold-plated seat buckles, and all the seats bear the Trump crest. There's even a VIP area that makes this jet um, number five on the list. What do you think of that one, Simon? That's nice. Um, I like the uh, sort of um, wood and mahogany uh, colour in that. It's quite uh, nice in the uh, leather. 
Um, it just doesn't look like an aircraft, does it? <laughs> just looking at that. <laughs> looks more like a, I suppose, a train, really. Um, it does, yeah. It's got a lovely floor in on there. And what's in at number four? Number four, then, is Joseph Lau's Boeing 747-800 VIP. Wow. This one comes in at 153 million. Um, now, this one uh, is uh, Joseph Lau. He's a billionaire real estate tycoon from Hong Kong and is one of Asia's richest businessmen and owns a number, um, the number four aircraft on the list. So the 747-800i VIP is worth $153 million and has loads and loads of uh, customizing to it, including a wine cellar with more than 10,000 bottles. And he's also got uh, a see-through floor in the bar area, uh, which looks below into the cargo hold to where his... uh, Mercedes um, cars are parked. You can see that one, Simon, can't yeah, you? Yeah, um, that looks like a BMW, that one. Oh, BMW, a, yeah. One under there that I can see through the glass, but that's that's something else. Um, that's got uh, flat screen TVs on display, onboard cinema. There's also a gym and a state-of-the-art conference room on this yeah, aircraft. That's, that's, um, that's very impressive. <laughs> So next one on the list then is number three, the Sultan of Brunei's Boeing 747-400. Comes in at twenty, uh, sorry, $233 million. And uh, the Sultan of Brunei uh, may be the third richest monarch in the world. He rules the Sultan um, of the Brunei nation. In his position, he can well afford the finer things in life. And he owns at least three other private jets, including two Airbus A340s and a Boeing 767. According to Forbes, this Boeing 747-400 will be his largest aircraft and was purchased from Lufthansa at a cost of $100 million. And then another $133 million was spent to customise it. The plane's uh, decor is lavish with black leather chairs and private living room, master bedroom and bathroom that are all decorated in gold and leak crystal. Even the wash basins are made of solid gold. What do you reckon that one, Simon? Oh, my goodness me. That, that is well impressive. There's no expense spared on this aircraft, is there? Solid gold wash basin, Simon. <laughs> And look at the size of the loo. That's that's quite a large... Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You can fit your feet in there easily. <laughs> <laughs> so that one, uh, oh, definitely uh, one to, to look out for there, I think. So number two on the list then is Alicia Usmanov's Airbus A340-300. That comes in at $350 million. Uh, according to uh, the Bloomberg Billionaires Index, Alicia Usmanov is ranked 34th in the index of the world's richest people with a net worth of approximately $15.8 billion. He is uh, a Russian, Russian's biggest iron ore producer. Uh, although he has other impressive private jets, his personal favourite is the Airbus A340-300. He purchased the plane for approximately $238 million, but over an additional million dollars was spent uh, to cover the cost of personalising it to his liking. <clears throat> the plane is named after his father, Borkham, and the name can clearly be seen or written on the side of the aircraft. The only plane that is larger than the Airbus A380, the A340 has a range of approximately 9,000 miles, with four engines and well suited to long trips across the globe. Uh, it has a title of being the largest business jet in Russia, 
even outclassing Vladimir Putin's Illusion Ill 96. Uh, haven't got the interior pictures of that, no, but, but um, um, quite a nice, nice uh, colour scheme. Yeah, the um, sort of browns and silver on the outside there. Yeah, really uh, nice. Yeah, so. Right, so moving on then to number one. Number one. <laughs> And number one, it had on to be an A, it had to be an A three eighty, didn't it? <laughs> uh, number one then is Prince Alweed bin Talal's Airbus A three eighty. This one comes in at five hundred million dollars, and uh, Prince Alweed bin Talal uh, is one of the richest men in the Arab world. His investment portfolio consists of large amounts of shares in companies such as Citigroup, Twitter, and Apple. And he owns various luxury hotels, as well as the Savoy in London and the Fairmont in San Francisco, as well as the Plaza and Four Seasons in New York City. He owns over 200 cars, three yachts and at least three palaces, not to mention three customized private jets he already owns. And he's all he's now acquired the largest and most luxurious private plane ever purchased. The prince spent $300 million to buy the Airbus A380. And he spent another $200 million fitting what he wanted inside the plane's interior. And the interior was stripped fully to customise the interior, which includes a concert hall able to hold 10 people and also featuring a grand piano, a private stage for entertainment, a marble-tiled steam room, a spa room, a room with a flat screen TV on the ceiling and walls to floor dubbed the magic carpet room because it will give passengers views of what they are flying over. A lavish dining room that can seat 14 people. A prayer room with mats that automatically adjust to face Mecca. And below the aircraft in the hold, he has a garage for his Rolls Royces. And also there is a stable for his horse and camels, a royal lounge, 20 private guest rooms, five master bedroom suites with full private bathrooms, a boardroom with holographic monitors, a grand staircase, and he also on board has a full throne in the middle of the aircraft so the prince doesn't get homesick. The list is endless, and the jet flies with at least 11 flight attendants on board at all times, and there's nothing that you could possibly want for on a jet like this. No wonder it's been nicknamed the Flying Palace, which makes it number one on the list. What do you think of that one, Simon? Well, it's it's just a hotel with wings, isn't it? Looking at this, it's um, where this, the leather seats are for this uh, dining area. It's just I'm I'm loving I'm loving the colours. If they're not a bit like 1970 colours on the uh, side of the uh, fuselage <laughs> there, but I'm going to show you that they're not. But it's, it looks as though it's quite a lot of soundproofing on that because you've got. Um, looks like where the windows uh, are. There's um, another sort of like um, section that's come in a bit. Uh, must be the soundproofing for the uh, aircraft. Um, but that looks a bit like a, a train sort of carriage. Those windows, don't they? Um, they yeah, the picture bit... we're looking at uh, on the uh, richest website is of the interior, and this this must be the dining room yes. with the fourteen seats. And that is literally what it says. It is a a uh, dining, huge dining table um, with what look like really comfortable leather chairs. Yes. Um, re- sort of even reclining chairs. Like, yes. And all the, way around. the uh, carpet looks as well as that deep plush um, carpet uh, where you put your feet in, it sinks. It's got uh, yeah, yeah, a yeah. two or three inch uh, pile on that. You can see lovely uh, 
Just love to walk that's, on there. <laughs> that would that be an experience to see that, really. Yes. So uh, that's the last uh, piece of news um, that we've got for this week um, from the normal new, the normal weekly news. And uh, we're going to come back to you after this. Don't forget, you too can contact the show and leave your messages for Simon and Carlos. Contact them via their website at www.plaintalkinguk.com or email them at plaintalkinguk at hotmail.com. Send them your messages. They really want to hear from you. Aviation media has long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines. Well, not anymore. I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran, and we're bringing aviation right into your radio. Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone. Hang on, aviation's always been cool. Check this out. How cool is this? Grant, Grant, turn that down. Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to talk to us about the amazing world of aviation right here in Australia and occasionally in New Zealand as well. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Find us at planecrazydownunder.com, on iTunes, or lurking about on other people's podcasts just like this one. We've got crazy accents and lots of great aviation content. And we promise not to talk about the cricket. No, never. Not the cricket. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> what is cricket anyhow? Something we win a lot. Oh, there oh. we <laughs> So then we are back then, and Simon's going to bring you his military and aviation news with some air show news as well, Simon. So if you're ready. Yes, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go. So with his military and air show news, then I'll hand you over to Simon. Thanks a lot, Carlos. Uh, the first bit of uh, news, uh, quite an interesting uh, bit of news regarding uh, the US presidential helicopter contract. Uh, Sikorsky has been picked to build the fleet, next fleet of US presidential helicopters. The news was announced on the 7th of May by the US Navy, which it called awarded to Connecticut-based company a $1.24 billion contract to build six aircraft. Sikorsky says its design is based on the company's S92, a twin-engine medium-lift model that says it is used to head off a state transport by 10 countries. We're honoured by this news and votes of confidence in the Sikorsky team uh, and the proven S92 platform with Sikorsky's president, Mick um, Mora. Yes, the project called VXX Presidential Helicopter Replacement Programme was completely Competitively bid by the U.S. Navy confirms that the Sikorsky was the only bidder. The company submitted its proposal in August 2013. The project kicks off this year with $42 million in funding for research, development and test evaluation. In addition of the six aircraft to be delivered to the U.S. Marine Corps, Sikorsky will also deliver two simulators, says the company. Two of the six aircraft will be engineering development models, EDMSs, which will be used by military personnel at the NAS. Uh, Putexan River in Maryland to test aircraft's flight performance and mission communication systems, says Sikorsky. Those aircraft will be delivered in 2018 under the terms of the contract. The remaining four aircraft, called demonstration test articles, will be used for the operational test 
being transitioned to operational status, says the company. Sikorsky expects the USN to eventually order 17 production aircraft, with the first of the three orders of those factory coming in by early 2019. Sikorsky says it will likely to deliver those production rotor aircraft by 2023. The company says it will manufacture the baseline S-92s in the facility its Coatesville, Pennsylvania, and perform modifications at its Stratford, Connecticut headquarters. Lockheed Martin, a subcontractor, will integrate mission and communication systems at, at its facility in Oga, New York. The aircraft will then return to Connecticut for cabin interior work, says Sikorsky. Sikorsky says it's delivered more than 200 S-92s to customers worldwide. Operations Operators include offshore oil and gas companies and civilian search and rescue agencies. So that is uh, quite interesting. It's a nice picture there. Is that just um, a sort of like a... I think that's just an enhanced picture there. What it, what yeah, it is, what uh, it's going to look like. It's, look it's like. Quite, a, uh, quite a striking helicopter, really. It's got a, um, a very sort of beefy, quite, uh, uh, you know, like I said, like a means business yes. sort of helicopter. But yeah. like uh, Simon said, it is used by the offshore uh, oil company CHC Bristow. And the Irish Coast Guard as well. Yes, they, they've uh, also got yeah, them as a, lot, well. a lot. of the, these will be replacing the Sea Kings, um, which have already started to do. They uh, uh, have a list price of thirty-two million dollars. Wow, that's uh, quite a lot. <laughs> right, the next piece of uh, information: the flight uh, first flight achieved by an Iraqi F-16. Wow, that's wow. Uh, um, interesting. Lockheed Mar- Martin announces that the first F-16 Fighting Falcon destined for the Iraq Air Force has achieved its first flight. The aircraft is one of 36 Block 52 F-16s ordered for Iraq throughout the Department of Defence, says Lockheed in May the 7th media release. The company says the Iraq order will sustain its F-16 production line through to 2017. So, um, new aircraft for Iraq. This is um, quite... The F-16 as well. I mean, that's uh, quite an iconic fighter jet, really, the F-16. Quite yes. a striking jet. Um, first flew in January 1974. <coughs> yes, Simon. yeah. So um, we do see a lot of those about here because they are based at uh, one or two of the uh, US air bases around here. So uh, and uh, obviously the display aircraft from the Netherlands and the Belgian Air Force as well. So it's uh, quite a familiar sight around uh, our skies. Um, but for the uh, Iraqis to have them, that is uh, something else. There's I'll... been over four and a half thousand of these built, Simon. That's a lot. These aircraft. Isn't it? Um, um, and they they come around at around about twenty million dollars. Wow! If you want to buy one of those, yeah. So that's. But, um, uh, I do. I, I've always liked the F sixteen. I think it's yeah. uh, quite an awesome looking yes, jet, is. really. Yeah. Right. The next piece of uh, information is Turkey confirms its orders for F thirty five. After a fifteen month delay, Turkey has uh, approved its uh, to d- uh, a decision to order an initial two Lockheed Martin F thirty five, launching the acquisition phase of its next generation fighter project. The dis- Decision was taken during the under what's under secretary under secretary <laughs> for defence industries executive committee meeting in Ankara on sixth of May by the committee managed by prime ministers um, and delayed the step in January twenty thirteen citing technical factors at the high costs of the program. According to the Turkish Air Force uh, program, a total of 100 conventional takeoff and landing F-35s will enter service from 2018. The uh, service's first two examples to be manufactured in the Block 3F configuration during the 10th lot of low-rate initial productions will initially support training activities and be based in the US 
A for a year before being uh, deployed to the Maltea Air, Air Base. So that looks uh, quite an interesting uh, bit of uh, news there for uh, Turkey, having uh, F-35s. Yeah, and they uh, they actually produced the 100th F-35, uh, known as the AF-41, and they produced the 100th one <coughs> on Friday, December the 13th, just the end of last year. They yes. produced, the, uh, produced the, the 100th one of those aircraft, so that's quite... Uh, they are getting more and more popular now, the F-35. Yes, and uh, I know the UK uh, will be having some... Uh, Delivered shortly, and we're going to see this at the air, air shows um, in July this year. Yes, we are. And Farnborough, so that'll be something worth looking forward to. Right, the next piece of news is the Royal Jordanian Air Force has, has taken delivery of its first Airbus Defence Space CN-235 transport aircraft uh, to have been adapted for a light gunship role. Now, um, looking at these photos, and it's uh, got a gun pod on the uh, side of the uh, uh, aircraft and then also, also some uh, gun pods um, which are just on the uh, fuselage as well um, which look, looks uh, quite impressive um, um, weapons integrating the aircraft include a side mounted 30mm cannon plus four Lockheed Martin AGM 114MK Hellfire air to surface missiles and two pods for BAE Systems 70mm advanced precision kill weapon system laser guided rockets carried using the fuselage-mounted pylons. The aircraft has been equipped with a suite of countermeasures systems for self-protection. So uh, that looks quite uh, quite an impressive the cannons on there. It looks a bit like an uh, Apache uh, layout with the guns on there, doesn't it? <laughs> kind of a, a, like a mini, mini Hercules Apache-type-looking <laughs> transport plane. Yes, um, but... If it's going to have um, sort of anti-aircraft and protection for its, uh, the aircraft itself, it's another um, sort of high-class um, uh, aircraft gunship, really. I think you definitely call it a multi-role uh, yes. aircraft because yeah. you, know, you, you could carry troops uh, or you could go and fly and, and shoot things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't see that many aircraft of that size with uh, guns on the pods uh, or on the fuselage. No, and side-mounted cannons. No, you definitely don't. No, so uh, that looks uh, quite an impressive... Uh, Aircraft. Right, the next piece of uh, news is Russia to deliver its Yak-135 trainers to Syria. Russia plans press plans to press on with its deliveries to Syria of the initial batch of nine Yak-130 advanced jet trainers by the end of 2014, according to Russian media reports, after laying the hand over the aircraft last year due to its country's civil war. So Damascus paid Moscow $100 million dollars advance last year for six aircraft according to the state-run um, agency a source told the agency that at the time of delivery of the aircraft awaited a potential decision however a source close to russia's um, state arms corporation told the command's dustman daily on the 5th of may that deliveries from an order for 36 aircraft will begin this year and to be complete by 2016 nine of the aircraft will be handed over this year 12 in 2015 the remaining following 15 the following year says the source so yeah that looks um that's got a really uh um looks quite a low down aircraft doesn't it um see all the uh explosive charges on the top of the glass canopy there which is uh safety yeah the yak uh the yak 130 then uh first flew in 1996 simon yep uh so relatively new uh aircraft 
and they're used primarily by the Russian Air Force. Yeah. And they're quite cheap. You can uh, buy one of those for $15 million. Yes. Dollars. Wow. So they're uh, not too expensive. No. But no, quite an <coughs> able, uh, able jet, definitely. So something that happened, uh, something happened yesterday then, Simon. Yes, uh, the next uh, piece of news, interesting piece here, is the 50-day countdown to Armed Forces Day, uh, which was uh, started, officially launched yesterday, May the 9th, 2014. Marks the start of the 50-day countdown to Armed Forces Day uh, 2014, which is on the 28th of June, which is a Saturday. Um, there'll be uh, loads of events around the sort of uh, UK um, uh, on this so if you want to uh, find out uh, the events just go on to um, the armed forces day show and support site um, and it will give you an event listing um, and what's happening on that day it's the 28th of june 29th of june they've got um, things going on all over the country so uh, the celebrations um, in most uh, places around the uk so um, i that, can't see norwich on there uh, just have a look <laughs> You're looking too hard. I'm looking through and just if we can see uh, our local city of Norwich, but uh, I would imagine there'll be more to be added. So we've got one in Peterborough, um, which is um, bit of a bit of a trek. Yeah, a bit of a trek, <laughs> but um, there's one or two around the sort of East Anglian area. So yeah, that um, be something to look forward to. And um, another piece of information I've got here is uh, regarding um, now I've had a. Um, a lot of people talking about this on Facebook, and um, I've been asked one or two by one or two people, um, when is the other Lancaster coming over um, from Canada? I can confirm, um, it has been officially confirmed now, it will be coming over uh, from Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, um, and they're in uh, final stages of preparation to get this flying over uh, the beginning of August, and it will be uh, scheduled to fly with the BBMF, um, and we'll give you the actual, there's a few places where they will be flying together. There's not many, um, and it's only going to be in August, um, although a lot of people have thought that they would be flying uh, the whole of the UK air show season together. But unfortunately, um, this isn't happening. So the first air show where you are likely to see these two flying in action is the Airborne um Eastbourne International Air Show, which is on August the 14th to the 17th. Um, we've got the Combined Ops Show, which is the 16th and 17th. And then we've got the Swell Great War Air Show, which is on the 17th of August. And also we've got August the 21st to the 22nd, the Clacton Air Show. Now, the previous ones that I've mentioned here, uh, some of these, three of those air shows are on the same day, so that was most probably why they've tried to tie those three in um, to get together. And the next air show where they will be flying together is on August the 23rd to 24th. It's the Dunsfold Wings and Wheels. Um, the Dawlish Air Show, which is the 23rd of August. Um, August the 24th, it's the Little Gransden Air Show and Car Show. Uh, the Bournemouth Air Festival, which is on the 30th and 31st um, of August, and also on the 30th and 31st of August, it's the Shoreham Air Show. Now, a lot of these air shows, um, looking at this, um, are close by. I know the Bournemouth and the Shoreham Air Show, so they look as though they've got to be tied those two in together. And um, the Dunsfold Wings and Wheels and the Dawlish Air Shows, they're going to be tying them in together. So if you are at any one of those, um, 
places that I actually sort of uh, just said. It's well worth uh, going because you're going to see two Lancasters flying together in formation, obviously with uh, uh, the UK's based Battle of Britain Memorial flight as uh, Lancaster and the Hurricanes and Spitfires and possibly Dakota. So that should be a sight. And um, this doesn't... I can't remember the last time that this happened. So this is quite a um, quite unique for many, many years um, to see these um, flying together. And... Um, so oh, what I will do is give you um, a more of a uh, um, information as we approach uh, this um, coming August about this uh, um, two aircraft because they're the only uh, they're the last two uh, bombers flying in the world and uh, the series of events that they're coming together for is in this summer should be quite spectacular and unique. So um, we'll just keep you, I will keep you up to date and posted uh, posted on that. And another piece of information I've got here. Um, the Red Arrows, um, we're, we're in May now, and they are due to uh, return um, towards the end of May. And the first uh, UK display will be the Penn Dennis Cup, which will be at Falmouth, Falmouth in Cornwall, um, which is on the 31st of May. And then they move to uh, the Isle of Man TT uh, on the 3rd of uh, June, which is a Tuesday. Um, we've got, they're going to be doing two displays there, Ramsey, the Isle of Man and Douglas, the Isle of Man. So we're at two sides of the Island there. Um, but as I said, they're, they're in training in Cyprus at the moment. And once they have uh, completed and uh, begin and been given authorization uh, for UK display, uh, display flying, um, they will return uh, in their full red flying suits and with all the engineers and circus and uh, ready to display. So that's something to look forward to. And um, the last few days have had uh, quite a lot of the same weather as we've had, uh, heavy rain, so they've been a bit sort of uh, secluded on the uh, display times and slots that they've been doing, so hopefully the weather will uh, brighten up again out there. And um got one other last piece of information before Carlos talks about uh, um, this week's featured aircraft. Um, the Abingdon Air Show, which is uh, just sort of um, finished uh, over the weekend, um, obviously the red arrows weren't actually there um, cause they're still out the thing, but the, um, uh, Abingdon air show, uh, was, um, an enjoyable day. The weather wasn't too bad. And, um, a lot of the aircraft that have flown there, um, will be featured in a lot of the other air shows throughout the UK. Um, we've had, um, the wing walkers, um, there's been one of the ex, uh, sharks display team, uh, RAF sharks display team gazelles. Um, from many uh, years ago, um, which is in, in the same sort of colours and uh, quite a lot of helicopters uh, flying as well. So um, it was a, a good air show, um, sort of uh, good to start off um, the uh, air show. We had the Tucano there, um, the RAF uh, Spitfire Battle of Britain Memorial flight, um, Jet Provosts, uh, Spitfire, the Dragon Rapide, um, which was... Um, I've seen that quite a few times at uh, Duxford, and that Dragon Rapide is a Scottish Airways one, which is um, quite a nice uh, aircraft to look at and uh, watch fly. Uh, the Canberra, um, which is a retired aircraft, which is a PR9, that was uh, flying there. The Boeing Stearmans, the Breitling Wingwalkers, uh, they were there. Um, the Pitts Special Trig Display Team, 
Um, I've, I've seen them. They're really good. Yes. And do you know what they used to be called? Uh, you may have seen them uh, many years ago. I used to see them at the Alton Broad Regatta, and mm. they were the Rothmans Aerobatic Team, uh, which was a cigarette. Uh, cigarettes. Yeah. Can you remember that? Yeah. yeah, that's gone back a few years. It is. Yeah. And um, it's some of the original pilots uh, that's still flying there, and they are the same aircraft, um, but they've just been painted. And they uh, don't, don't use cigarette advertising. No, no, no. no, no um, that's not good But for you. Um, I have seen the uh, photos. Um, and actually seen them in the Rothmans aerobatic team at the Alton Broad Regatta many, many years ago when they used to have the fallen gnat for the Red Arrows. So that was uh, interesting. Also, uh, the Bulldog, um, that was flying. And uh, there was um, so many aircraft flying um, uh, there. Obviously, the two gazelles, REF colours and Gulf War colours, which I uh, sort of mentioned, um, Austers, Cessnas, Bronco, um, which was uh, German Air Force colours. Uh, Huge amount of aircraft. Yeah, Pioneer 300, the Nord 1002, the Yakolov 52, uh, the SF-260 Machete uh, Italian Air Force colours, the Chipmunks, Hughes 300, Rob, the Robin DR-400, the Shorts Skyvan, Robson R-44, the Luscom, the Plum biplane, and the Kit Fox, and the Piper Cub, and... Just a lovely uh, selection here. And also the uh, Merlin uh, aircraft as well um, uh, was uh, there from uh, 28 Squadron. And then uh, the Royal Netherlands Air Force P7 and the Grobe 109 Vigilant was there as well. So um, quite a... Um, That's one one very mixed full full uh, uh, display, really. Yeah, so isn't, um, not too many high-powered uh, aircraft there. Um, but uh, an air show, um, which is uh, one I haven't ever visited mm. and uh, will be adding. Uh, if, in- if any of our listeners uh, listening to the show now, if you went to the Abingdon uh, uh, Air Display and Country Show, drop us an email. Uh, let us know uh, how you got on, what the air show was like and uh, and what you thought of the day. Drop us an email and uh, let us know. That's the Abingdon uh, and Country Air Show there. Definitely send us some info on that. Let us yes. know how you got on. Yes. Yeah. Always a good, good thing to have good weather at an air show. So um, mm, definitely. I've been to a lot of air shows and we've had poor weather. Um, previous uh, last off air festivals, which are, are no more, sadly, and um, Duxford as well. Uh, I've had um, some bad experiences of thunder and also at Riyadh as well. But uh, fingers crossed we should have a good year for uh, weather-wise. Brilliant. So we're going to uh, move on then with the uh, last segment in the show, then our In Focus Aircraft of the Week. So you ready, Simon? Yep. And now it's time for our In Focus Aircraft of the Week. So our In Focus Aircraft of the Week for this week, then, as voted by you, our listeners, via Facebook. Uh, don't forget, follow us on Facebook, and then you can vote as well on our in-focus aircraft. So uh, we didn't do it last week. We no. uh, ran ran very very short of time, so we couldn't do, couldn't do it last week. But um, we have had uh, various uh, comments and uh, bits and pieces sent to us, voting for your favourite. And this week's winner was the Boeing B fifty two Strato Fortress. So the Boeing B fifty two Strato Fortress is a long range subsonic jet powered strategic bomber. The B-52 was designed and built by Boeing, which has continued to provide support and upgrades, and it has been operated by the United States Air Force since the 1950s. The bomber is capable of carrying up to 70,000 pounds or 32,000 kilos of weapons. 
And beginning with a successful contract bid in June 1946, the B-52 design evolved from a straight-winged aircraft powered by six turboprop engines to the final prototype YB-52 with eight turbojet engines and swept wings. The B-52 took its maiden flight in April 1952, built to carry nuclear weapons for the Cold War era and deterrent missions. The B-52 Stratofortress replaced the Convair B-36, a veteran of several wars. The B-52 has dropped only conventional munitions in combat, and the B-52's official name, the Stratofortress, is rarely used in informal circumstances, and it has become common to refer to the aircraft as the Buff, or abbreviated Big Ugly Fat, well... We'll let you guess what the uh, last F stands for. The B-52 has been in active service with the USAF since 1955. And as of 2012, 85 were still in active service, with nine in reserve. The bombers flew under strategic air command until it was inactivated in 1992. And its aircraft absorbed into the Air Combat Command in 2010. All B-52 Stratofortresses uh, were then transferred from the ACC to the new Global Air Force uh, Strike Command. Superior performance at high subsonic speeds and relatively low operating costs have kept the B-52 in service, despite the advent of later, more advanced aircraft, including the cancelled Mach 3 B-70 Valkyrie. The variable geometry B-1 Lancer and the stealth B-2 Spirit as well. The B-52 completed 50 years of continuous service with its original operator in 2005 after being upgraded between 2013 and 2015 and it's expected to serve into the 2040s. So the first flew there, our first flight of the B-52 uh, was the 15th of April 1952 and introduced into service in February 1955, and its primary users being the United States Air Force and NASA. There's been 744 built, and the unit cost, if you want to purchase one, uh, is around about the $55 million mark for a B-52H. So some few bits of stats then on the B-52H. The length is 159 feet 4 inches with a wingspan of 185 feet, a tail span of 52 feet and an empty weight of around 185,000 pounds. The maximum takeoff weight was 488,000 pounds and had a fuel capacity of 48,000 gallons with a service ceiling of 50,000 feet. It could cruise at a Mach 0.86, which works out at 650 miles per hour, and is powered by eight Pratt & Whitney TF33 P3103 engines, each producing 17,000 pounds of thrust. Its range, unrefueled, is 8,800 miles, and uh, its crew positions, uh, they had six who had ejector seats, which are the aircraft commander, the pilot, the navigator, the second navigator for the radar, the electronic warfare officer, and the uh, gunner's position. 
They had provisions for additional crew members, four of which had no ejection seats. And these were the instructor pilot, the instructor navigator, the instructor electronic warfare officer and the instructor gunner. So there we go then, the B-52H Stratofortress. Simon, what do you think of that one? Oh, I love this aircraft. Have you, um, I take it you've seen this flying, haven't you? Yes, yes, I have yes. many, many years ago now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've uh, seen it in recent years. Um, it was uh, normally at Riyadh. It wasn't there uh, last year, but um, hopefully uh, we should be getting another um, uh, time seeing it there this year. And um, you're most probably aware, have you uh, seen it do a crab landing or crabbing on the uh, Taxiway. I've seen the videos on YouTube of that one, yes, Simon. Yeah. yeah, so if if you are interested in wondering what I'm talking about, um, this aircraft can land um, sideways in a crosswind <laughs> and also take <laughs> off uh, sideways in a crosswind. It so- sounds hard to believe, but they normally put the nose into the wind and uh, it will take off um, near enough in a strange way, vertical, and uh, also uh, coming into land as well. It can land on its front wheel first, so which is quite pe- uh, peculiar. But um, when you see it crabbing um, around, they can uh, swivel the wheels quite um, at an angle and have the aircraft um, moving along the taxiway sideways. So uh, it's quite worth uh, looking at. And if you uh, go on YouTube and type in B-52 crabbing, you will actually see this. And it's quite an impressive uh, thing to watch. And uh, takeoff and landings are similar as well. And a few years back, quite a few years back now, one of the uh, B-52s, uh, which is now uh, on display in the American uh, Air Museum at Duxford, is, did actually land there, and he'd done one pass, and then he made another pass, and the uh, second time on that pass, he did land. So, um, and then that was retired there, but you can actually see that on YouTube as well. But Duxford... Um, B-52 landing, and you will see it on there, and uh, it's quite impressive to watch. He had such a short runway, but um, he was he did have a limited amount of fuel, and he put out the um, uh, parachutes to slow it down on that short uh, length of runway from Duxford. And it can be seen uh, as a centre of attention in the uh, American uh, Air Museum uh, as of uh, now. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it there. Yeah. It's, in a, it's very good, very yeah. good to see that one. Yes, yeah. So then, uh, we've just got a couple of uh, hellos to make out and uh, some uh, good wishes uh, to some people. Uh, First of which then is Terry and Abby Ridley. Uh, They got married earlier this week and uh, they flew out today to Kuala Lumpur. Uh, They took off uh, this afternoon and they are flying with Malaysia Airlines Airbus A380. Not just any Airbus A380, but they're actually uh, travelling on 9 Mike Mike November Foxtrot, which was the 100th uh, Airbus A380 to be produced. And they flew out today uh, on that aircraft, so wish them all the best uh, in married life and uh, all the best for their honeymoon. I expect they're currently in the air at the moment. Um, on the way to Kuala Lumpur on the 380. Yeah, um, that's one aircraft I hopefully one day yeah, will fly in the future um, on the A380. Uh, well, I look forward to it immensely, and uh, we wish them a safe journey, and uh, uh, enjoy. hope you enjoy your flight. Yeah, and a safe journey home to Tara and Andrew as well. They're flying back from Cyprus, hopefully with BA today. Yes. Hopefully BA have uh, found them an aircraft Um to uh, bring them back from Cyprus uh, yes. back to the UK. Yeah, definitely. And uh, just uh, hello to all the other uh, 
listeners as well just uh, all you guys who follow us on facebook don't forget you can follow us on facebook find us on uh, facebook just type in plain talking uk podcast you'll see us on there like us on there and join us uh, our other like uh, people who have joined us on facebook as well and don't forget you can send us emails to plain talking uk at hotmail.com or you can send us an email via our website as well at uh, all the w's plain talking uk.com uh, plain spelt P-L-A-N-E. Send us an email via the website. Let us know your thoughts, your views on the show. Send us some feedback because we want to hear from you, don't we, Simon? Yes, we do. And uh, if you keep an eye on the Facebook page, uh, you will see uh, we'll keep put, um, putting uh, new uh, bits of information and stories and photos regarding aircraft from all my other uh, aviation and Carlos's aviation contacts that we have. Um, so uh, there will be... This is updated uh, on a regularly hourly basis, uh, mainly um, when the uh, information becomes available. So, uh, if uh, you are interested in anything or you want to ask any questions, please do. Um, we're on uh, Facebook, we're on Twitter, and uh, we've got our own uh, Facebook account and uh, PlainTalkingUK.com website as well. So, yeah, yeah, definitely look for us on there. For those of you listening who are not following us on Facebook, find us on Facebook. Yes, uh, we've got Mate, 71 likes yep. now. Let, let's have 100 by episode 21. So that brings to an end then episode number 20. 20. 20 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stubbings and I'm going to say uh, take care all our listeners and we'll be back to you next week with episode 21. So from me, it's uh, eyes to the sky and uh, take care, guys. Yeah, and uh, for me, it's uh, uh, cheerio and uh, eyes to the sky as well and uh, keep an information uh, coming in on all those aircraft. Yep. Goodbye then. Bye.